I can I just say, yeah, thank you for um, letting me speak to you for the next 20 minutes, half an hour. You know, church is in some ways such a strange thing. Where else do you have a group of people getting together uh, voluntarily on a Sunday morning to listen to one person speaking? And uh, here you are. That's exactly what we're doing. And I hope that it is worth your while like it is every Sunday, hopefully, that we walk away from hearing God's word because it's living, because it's active, because it changes us when we listen to it, when we hear what it not only has to say, but what God wants to do in us. And I hope that's true this morning too as we finish off this uh, section of our series on Crazy Busy. Now, during the week, I read a quote. It's a little bit dated, It's sort of from 2013, and it says this. Social media addiction uh, has been recognised as an official condition in the UK with London clinics treating hundreds of sufferers a year. Now, this morning, we're going to talk about um, screen time. And I don't really know what to include in all this. There's various terms and, you know, phrases. We can talk about screen time, social media, internet, technology. I recognise there's a whole heap of things you can lump under this topic. I'm just going to talk about social media, but bear in mind social media today includes for me talking about, you know, whatever apps you follow and Gumtree and uh, Pinterest and whatnot else, you know, sort of just what goes on in the world of the technology that we carry around in our pockets, on our computers, uh, on our tablets, and so forth. And let me ask you just a few questions just to sort of get us thinking before I launch into into the content. Um, Do you check your phone for calls, texts, any social media app or emails, first thing when you wake up and last things, last thing before you go to bed. Are you nervous about going on a holiday where there is no Wi-Fi? <laughs> Perhaps. Every time you enjoy something, do you feel the compulsion to upload a picture of it onto the web on whatever social media apps you follow? <laughs> Uh, Do you use social media on the loo? Do you obsessively monitor your likes? Do you check your phone more than nine times an hour? That's a a UK statistic, that the average person in the UK at least checks their phone nine times an hour. If you answer yes to, to most or all of these things might be that the internet, that social media uh, is an issue in your life that might be out of place, might be not quite in the place where where it's supposed to be. And the reason I say might, and I'm just putting out a disclaimer here, is these questions I asked you is not a verifiable test. Okay, there's no Australian classification for a condition like even here in the UK where um, 
you know, it's recognised that there is something such as social media addiction. I'm not a psychologist, and so don't draw any diagnoses about yourself, about anything today. I really ask the questions because I want us to start thinking about how does what goes on inside our phones and our apps and the internet and all that uh, make us busier than we sometimes should not necessarily, as we've said earlier, in terms of how many hours a day we may spend on it, but the amount of processing our minds have to do because we constantly get bombarded about what goes on in our screens. I want to say three things today, three dangers that social media and the internet and such pose to us, and then four very brief practical tips on how we can combat that, okay? Three dangers, four practical tips. Danger number one. Danger of becoming addicted. We read the first verse here this morning, whoops, earlier. Carla read that to us. I'll just read the second one now from 2 Peter. God's word says they, and these are false teachers in the context, promise them, you, freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people who are, sla are slaves to whatever has mastered them. The key principle in, in Romans and in this verse or these verses from 1 Peter is that uh, whatever in our lives has mastered us, controls us, makes us do things or think things that we don't even really want to anymore, has mastered us. You know, in a sense, we have become slaves to whatever that thing might be. Now, let me be very clear. Social media technology is neutral. I'm not saying to you today that Facebook is the devil or social media is inherently evil and stay away from it at all costs. The truth is, it's neutral. It's what we do with it, or what we let it do with us, that makes it good or bad. It is the same in the life of the Christian as other things like sex, or alcohol, or rock music, reading books even, drinking coffee, anything in life that we allow to control what we do or how we think is out of place. And social media, internet, tech, it's just no different. In fact, a study from the University of Chicago found that social media can be more addictive than cigarettes and alcohol. Features in social media such as retweets, or likes uh, give users a boost of positive brain chemicals, while a lack of those things can often uh, you know, provoke anger or anxiety. And that's the same sort of chemical thing that goes on, I suppose, psychologically as with any other addiction. So we can pose today that you know, psychologically, physiologically, social media can become addictive. We don't have the data yet in Australia. I had a quick chat to Chris about this in the week to, to say that it's recognised formally and a big part of that is simply because 
Social media is so new. Think about it, it's only really been around for, what should we say, 10, 15 years? We simply just don't know yet, actually, at an academic formal research level, exactly what it, how it changes how we operate within our minds and so forth. But I think it's safe to say already that it can be addictive. If you're a Christian, and this is speaking to the spiritual side of it, because I'm not speaking today to the psychological side of it, really. I'm not a psychologist, but spiritually speaking, here's the truth. If you're a Christian, you want to be mastered by only one thing, and it's Jesus. We read and we heard this from, from Romans earlier. Now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. In some ways, the concept of slavery to us is not really useful. We, we live in a time where it's very much frowned upon. So we've got to do a bit of a stretch of our minds to get back into what Paul was saying. Slavery in the ancient world wasn't perfect, but it was quite different to what it is in our day and age. And even though it's different, Paul says somewhere else in verse 19, it's not a perfect metaphor to talk about slaves and masters, but he kind of says, let me roll with this because this is something we might understand. If you're a Christian, your master is Jesus. And in him you find the greatest freedom and fullness that is to be found in life. And what he's saying here is simply this, that if you're in Jesus, why would you be mastered by anything else ever again? And that includes social media. It includes internet and all those sorts of things. Okay? That's the first danger. The danger is that we might become addictive or addicted to what goes on in our screens. Number two is this. The danger of never being alone. Engage your imaginations for me quickly. There's a guy called William Powers. He wrote a book called Hamlet's Blackberry, and he likens our world in this digital age to a gigantic room, and it is filled with a billion people. It is massive. And yet, even though you're sort of standing alone in this massive room with a billion other people, anyone can at any time come up to you and tap you on the shoulder. Text, a hit, a comment, a post, a like, a new thread, a notification... Some come up to you to talk business, others to vent, others to sell you stuff, others to promote an event, others to talk about an assignment at school that you have to do, others to give you a reminder of something, others to just give you information, and others to just catch up with you. And this goes on day and night and day and night and day and night. A non-stop festival of human interaction is what William Powers calls it. Eventually, in this analogy, you get tired of it. You say, well, I've got to get out of this room. 
to have a break. Except no one seems to know where the exit is. In fact, no one else really seems keen to get out of this gigantic room to the point where it's frowned upon an almost lunatic or lunacy to want to step outside the giant room. People get ticked off if they hear that you want to step out of the giant room. So you start thinking, well, maybe it isn't that good outside the room. I will just stay inside, always. Here we need to ask the question, is it a good thing or a bad thing to never leave the room? Again, I'm not a psychologist, but I dare say that there's a solid argument that it is vital for your health and my health that we sometimes spend time alone. And by alone, I don't mean going for a walk with your phone, <laughs> checking Facebook, or I love watching, am I a millennial? I don't know if I'm a millennial, but young people, I'm not young anymore, so I can go there, you know, walking on the sidewalk like this, and I don't know how to avoid not walking into stuff, but there's a great skill, I reckon, to be able to walk a long way looking on your phone. You've got, you're awesome, young people. Um, that's not being alone. Being alone is not alone in your bedroom with the door shut, connected to the Wi-Fi on your tablet. It's not being alone. When I say alone, we mean alone, away from the screen, literally out of the giant room that William Powers talks about. Blaise Pascal, the great French writer, physicist, mathematician and theologian, once said this. I have often said that the sole cause of man's unhappiness is that he does not know how to stay quietly in his room, alone. Last week in Mark 1, we read that Jesus left the busyness of his ministry. He went off to a solitary place to be alone. I'm fairly certain if that happened in the 21st century, he would have left his phone at home. The truth is, or the danger rather is, our screens may mean that we are never alone. And it's probably not a good thing. Danger number three. We're doing well. This is the last one. The danger of losing our flesh and bloodness. One of the great things that the internet has given us is the ability to do online dating. Again, like all things, it can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing. Donna and I have friends who are now married uh, who met each other through an online dating site. And it was awesome to watch their relationship going from when they've met uh, and, you know, the relationship progressed and it was actually surviving. <laughs> you know, none of us thought it would. But the truth is that eventually along the line in that relationship, they had to see each other. One of them had to get on a plane 
fly to the other one so they could actually have a date and be physically in each other's presence. Of course, eventually, if this relationship was really to work out well, one of them had to move so they could live together in the same space. The truth is, there is no way that they could have had the God-intended, full, meaningful, beautiful relationship that they were meant to have if they weren't together in flesh and blood. In the Bible we read about Jesus. He's called the, the Word here. The Word, Jesus, became flesh and he made his dwelling amongst us. God became one of us in flesh and blood. Uh, He could be seen, he could be heard, he could be touched. And it's hugely significant that God has made us that way. We have to be, to be everything we're supposed to be, in flesh and blood together with other people. Kevin Young, the guy who writes the crazy busy book, says this, because of Jesus' birth as a human, we understand that there's no substitute for dwelling with physical people in a physical place. We may have a lot of great relationships with people online, but never think that they can be as valuable or as full or as important as relationships with real people in real community, in real flesh and real blood. Okay, there you have it. Three dangers. Addiction, we've got to watch for that. We may never be alone, and we need to be. And thirdly, the risk of replacing flesh and blood relationship with online ones. Now, let me move towards a close, and we're going to end in the Lord's Supper today. Uh, But before I do, a few practical tips. And we kind of, and I want you not to have the idea today that I'm bagging internet and social media. I'm on it and I love it. (laughs) I'm not saying delete all your apps, strip your house of a Wi Fi connection. Uh, This is the life in which we live, and Jesus wants us to be in it, not away from it. We just need to be in it and go about it in a way that is God-honouring and putting Jesus first. And here are some tips, just some tips that might help us navigate our way and live inside this giant room uh, in a healthy way, okay? Here we go. Number one, just have a healthy suspicion towards tech. We had a sermon here from a visiting preacher sometime last year, Jonathan uh, Dienick. And he made a good point. He was preaching on Facebook, actually. And uh, he said, understand one thing. The people who make whatever social media apps you use, (laughs) they don't don't love you. (laughs) They're not necessarily out there to improve you or make you uh, a more godly, a better, a fuller person. Usually big tech is after money. And so just be mindful of that. Not everything that you download on your phone, not every social media uh, thing that comes out is necessarily good for you. They're not always out there to love you. And know that. 
and I'm again not saying to cut it out, brand everything is the devil, but be mindful that they're probably not always having your best interest at heart. At heart. Okay? Number two, be kind to others in our digital world. As we're in, as we're in this gigantic digital room, try not be the person who taps everyone else on the shoulder all the time unnecessarily. <laughs> if you can avoid tapping someone on the shoulder, do. Uh, if you don't need to CC or BCC the other 28 people in the email, don't. They can do with one less tap on the shoulder that day. If you can avoid uploading that picture today because, well, maybe I should send this picture to only... Uh, to only Simon and not to everyone, because really it's between Simon and I, just send it to Simon, don't send it to everyone else. So everyone else doesn't get tapped on the shoulder when really it's only special to him and me. Just be kind to others. A little bit of thought in how, how much hype we make in this. Thirdly, deliberately use old technology sometimes. Read a book. I can download it for half price. You can, but the book's not going to give you pop-up notifications every 30 seconds while you read, or whatever that is. Buy something from an actual store. Go out and pay with money for what you're buying with a person. Not all the time. We do lots of online shopping at home, but sometimes just do it. Go for a walk without your earphones. Smell the roses, talk to the guy leaning on his fence, just be flesh and blood again. Have a conversation with a friend in person and so forth. You can add things to that list. Lastly, this is probably the most important one, uh, put boundaries in place. Turn off some notifications on your phone. You know, you don't have to be alerted with a foghorn every time the AFL app makes an update. You can choose to, at night, after the kids are going to bed, sit down and just catch up on the day's developments on Pinterest or whatever it is. It's just that one less tap on the shoulder, one fewer tap on the shoulders throughout the day. Um, designated screen times, screen areas at home. Think about things like, let's not take our phones to bed. Let's Let's actually say that when we're in bed together, we are outside the big gigantic room. We actually have a conversation. Maybe um, at the extreme level, don't text. Go to your phone while we're eating at the table or while we're in a meaningful conversation with a friend. Uh, treat that as sacred. Maybe helpful to make a rule that you don't check your phone first thing every morning or last thing at night. I'm not prescriptive about this, I'm simply saying consider these things. And lastly, take a break every now and again from your phone. I, Thursdays is my day off, Thursdays the phone goes face up in a drawer. Um, unless there's death, uh, you won't reach me on a Thursday. Uh, Friday morning, I'll return the calls, the texts, everything like that. But Thursdays, I want to I be out of the room. No one's tapping me on the shoulder Thursday. For you, it might be Saturday. It might be Wednesday night. 
It might be Sunday afternoon. It doesn't matter when it is. It's just healthy sometimes to just step out of the room. Okay? Some practical tips. Consider them. And let's wrap this up now. What I want to do is I want to make the conclusion to this message the introduction to the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to do that now. Then I'm going to pray. And then we'll hand out the bread and wine. You may hear all this and say, this is cool, but I'm kind of mastered by an addiction to social media and I don't have the strength to break it. In fact, let's widen it a little bit. Maybe you struggle with another addiction in your life today. Maybe pornography, food, alcohol, gambling, online gaming, you name it. Maybe you're not addicted, but there's stuff in your life that you know isn't right. Bitterness, unforgiveness, uh, hatred towards someone. Maybe you feel overloaded with guilt for something or even many things. Now, the truth is that our lives are constantly at risk of being mastered by something other than Jesus. Something that doesn't love us. Something that doesn't have our best interests at heart. And dear friend, I want to invite you this morning to this supper as Mike did and let it do two things in you as you live this life facing constantly the risk of being mastered by something else. What's the job of this supper? Two things. Firstly, it's to remind you that you're a child of God. You are a child of God. Paul says to us in Romans, you didn't receive, this is if you're a Christian, if you're in Jesus, you didn't receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. By that spirit you cry, Abba, Father, by that spirit, you look at God and you say to God, Dad, <laughs> you're, my, you're my father. And you know, I've got two children, Anna and Marty, they're three and four years old, and, and the truth is, they are my children. Irrespective of how they behave, irrespective of what they do, they are my children simply by virtue of the fact of birth. I am their dad, they are my children. And it's the same with you. Dear friend, if you are in Christ, if you've accepted that Jesus loves you, he's died for the forgiveness of your sins, was raised to life that you may have life, if you simply say, I believe that, it's true. God adopts you. You're his kid. You're his son. You're his daughter. And nothing can change that. Not what you've done not what you're struggling with, not what you might be addicted to, not what you may not have figured out and got right in your life yet. He's your father. And this supper that we're going to take this morning should remind you of that. Remember, you're a child of God's because of what Christ has done. And then the second thing it's supposed to do is this. It's supposed to remind you that as your loving parent, 
God will help you to grow up to live like a child of his. God will help you to become what you already are. <laughs> okay? My kids are born to me. They're my kids. I love them. Uh, they'll always be my kid no matter what they do, but they still have to grow up. They still have to learn what it means to be a child of mine and Donald's. And I, as a father, am going to help them. I'm going to do everything I can to help them. Same with us again. Scripture says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. I'm an earthly father. I'm flawed. I can't do anything of any real significance for my children. But God, on the other hand, is not like that. He fills you with his spirit. And that spirit that lives in you every day gives you that strength to grow just that next little bit to be like this child of God that you're called to be. So what I want to do, let me pray. And then after I prayed, I'll ask for the, the guys to prepare the table and we'll hand out the bread and wine. When you received it, just hold on to it and then I'll speak again. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that we are to be mastered by nothing other than Jesus who loves us. Father, I thank you that we are your kids and that nothing can take that away from us. I pray this morning for those who may have a constant battle, maybe even a battle they feel that they're losing against something else that wants to master them. Father, I pray that you'd give great assurance through this supper this morning and through this message that we are your children. We are your children because of Jesus and nothing can change it. I ask that you'd bring that reality to bear on the hearts of those who are downhearted this morning. And then, Father, I ask too that as we navigate how to live our lives in a digital world with stuff that cannot constantly threaten to master us, give us the strength to live as your children. I pray that for every other thing that seeks to master us and that people may carry in their hearts right now. Send us back into this week with a renewed hope that in us lives a spirit that is stronger than that thing that's seeking to master us. And in you, every day, we can grow stronger. Help us, especially if the journey is long, and let us remain hopeful, optimistic, and faithful, not because of us, but because of you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.